Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. I'd like to welcome everyone to the CRE podcast, Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We're very happy to have you here today. And we have a very special guest that's with us, Elliot Page, who is actually over cargo for the busiest airport in the world, Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. And why in the world would we have someone on the show as it relates to cargo? Well, let me ask you something. Before cargo goes on a plane, where do you think it's stored? Well, now you can understand why Elliot is with us today. So Elliot, very happy to have you with us here today and uh, excited to hear all about your, your story and how this has all come about. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Joel. All right. Fantastic. So Elliot, uh, just tell us a little bit about in your own words as to uh, what exactly you do for the Hartsfield Jackson Airport. I mentioned that you're head of cargo, but what exactly does that mean? Well, I'm not only head of cargo, I'm also, the, the position is called the director of air service development. Air service development for an in air airport language is basically business development between the airport and and airlines for both passenger and cargo. So my role is to basically to increase the business of the airport, to increase, to get more and more people to fly to the airport, which means more and more airlines to offer greater connectivity to different cities across the world for both passenger and cargo. And also I find myself also working on on the development side of things, because um, we have to have something to sell. Mm-hmm. And so uh, on the airport side, we need, you know, good warehouses, efficient layout of warehouses and for our ground handlers, for the operators, for the planes, the airlines. And because I travel a lot, I go to many other countries. I always take an opportunity to visit other airports internationally. And when I find ideas, I, you know, I, I bring them back. <laughs> okay, okay. Some people say it's, it's, it's stealing, but if it's a good idea, why not? Why reinvent the wheel? Right. But I mean, the point is that we, we're an international airport and, and when what are, business people expect the same standards in, in, a, in a, a large airport overseas as they do here. So we have to make sure that we're on par with what's happening internationally. So I spend a lot of time developing warehouses, um, working on the quality of our service with our ground handlers and all the different stakeholders, working with the federal agencies, also working with off-airport warehouse operators. We have one of of my colleagues is responsible for airports on property and another one for airports off property that is outside the fence. Mm -hmm. And outside the fence just means that area that is not secure. And um, because the airport also has a lot of land outside the fence and we do lease this land. And sometimes we have buildings outside the fence as well. And we do lease these buildings for, for folks to, um, to operate. So it, I, I co- collaborate a lot with these stakeholders to make sure that what we're developing off airport kind of supports what we're doing on airport so that there can be some relationship and some what I call a symbiotic relationship, kind of an ecosystem mm-hmm. that creates industry for us. Okay. All right. That's actually very interesting. I want to circle back to that because uh, once you start talking about land and buildings 
available to lease and, and cargo and all of that, you know, my, my ears perk up. So I uh, certainly want to dive into that a little bit more. So this is a, a pretty impressive uh, position. And I apologize for I didn't in any way, shape or form mean to diminish your full role. You know, it's just not over cargo. It's over a whole lot more. <laughs> so I apologize for that. But um, tell me how you got here. You know, you have this distinctive Caribbean accent. So it's not Jamaican. It's not, you know, some of the other parts of the Caribbean. So tell me about your background and how this all came about. I'm Antiguan okay. uh, by origin. That's that's the, the weird accent that you're hearing. It's, <laughs> it's southern. It's, it's much more southern than, than Atlanta. Okay. And I've kind of been around. I worked for many years in Antigua itself, promoting industry, promoting mostly companies to export and trade. Mm-hmm. And some of that, I, I, ironically, now that I look back, also involved some real estate. I was responsible for a set of warehouses that we had, and we had to make sure that we put, we released these warehouses with tenants that were producing various things, whether it's coffee, packaging coffee, manufacturing T-shirts, um, clothes, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and also helping them to find markets. So I worked, you know, I left Antigua a long time ago, went to work in Switzerland, as a diplomat with the World Trade Organization. Okay. I represented several countries in the Caribbean as a, a head of mission, head of an embassy in, in Geneva. And then I also worked with the World Trade Organization Organization Secretariat itself, mostly developing what they call technical assistance. So I would travel back to mostly to the Caribbean, Latin America, and sometimes some African countries to help them take advantage of these big trade treaties that that you know their government signed and many people didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And then I, I did some consulting where I kind of did some of the same things, going around to different countries, promoting trade, trade promotion. And then, then I ended up here. I, I worked a long time ago in the aviation industry in Antigua. I worked for an airline, ironically in cargo, but also with passenger, but face facing the customer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found myself now in the airport several years later. They wanted someone with a bit of international background to kind of promote the international side of Atlanta Airport because we, we're doing great domestically. International, although we're Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport, our international component is pretty small in comparison to, say, JFK, Miami, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, Seattle. Mm-hmm. So we're really working to increase that those numbers and and to add more international connections to Atlanta because we we recognize that once you connect a city internationally via air or in, you know in our case you create an opportunity for growth for investment you 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 create a conduit for business people to travel mm-hmm. and for goods to move back and forth. And that create does those investments create jobs and prosperity for that for that region. That's why I, I really believe the the reason Atlanta is successful industrially is because of the airport and because mm-hmm. you know the airport makes it easy. There's no there's no mistake or error that you know there are hundreds of German companies here, but we have like 18 flights per day to to different cities in Germany similar to Japan mm-hmm. and Korea, the connections we have with Korea. So those connections help to create investment and growth. And um, that's that's where we serve. So that's kind of my 
overall responsibility too. And and that involves also working with not just the airport, but working with the Georgia Department of Economic Development, um, the Metro Atlanta Chamber, the private sector. Mm-hmm. So we work very closely with all these different uh, organizations because you know we have the same mandate. Got you, yeah. got you. So that's that's very interesting. And you you made the point about um, you know looking to to compete, if you will, with Seattle, San Francisco, Miami, JFK, those those airports there. What's the best way to compete with those airports? Is it through cargo as kind of a a leader into more activity, or is there some other way that you would see uh, growing that business? Well, passengers and business people have a choice Mm -hmm. in where they take their business. When you're a passenger and you're traveling, you you look for the not only the the airport with the best fares to travel through, but also the best service. So, you know, who has the nicest restaurants or the nicest amenities that you're accustomed to? Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you have staff that treats you well and recognizes and appreciates your business? Where do you have the greatest connectivity? You know, you're assured, we always say with Atlanta, whether you're going to heaven or hell, you have to come to Atlanta. <laughs> um, because we have over 150 destinations domestically, daily, and over 70 destinations internationally in 45 countries. So, you know, it doesn't matter where you're going, you can get there through Atlanta as a passenger. So we're the world's busiest and most efficient airport because the layout of the passenger air, passenger side is pretty impressive, you know, with mm-hmm. parallel runways, four, five parallel runways and seven concourses that are all connected by underground train. You, it, mm-hmm. it seems huge when you get there, especially if you're not accustomed to travel a lot, but it's it's a pretty well-connected airport for passengers. On the cargo side, and, and this, is, this is true for cargo in most countries, well, no, in, in most cities in the U.S., people don't understand cargo. When you go on your phone and you, you go on Amazon Prime and you, you order something mm-hmm. online, Magically, in a, in a day or two, you know, the next day it shows up on your on your doorstep. And there's a lot of processes that have and international laws and treaties and and rules and technology uh, and jobs that are in that that bridge between you pressing order for on your credit card to you receiving it at at, at your front door. And a lot of that deals with efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, having a, a great airport that's efficient. And, and having all the right facilities in place. So while we built a fantastic airport for, for passengers, we, we didn't do such a great job on, on the, the, cargo, the cargo side. And now we're working on that. We're expanding both the warehouse space. We're looking at offering different technologies to improve uh, the efficiency. We have offered a, a truck rest area so trucks can park and wait for uh, a, an opportunity to go to a doctor. We have technology that tells them when they can go to, to a warehouse. Okay. And, you know, we, and we talk to a lot of our, our stakeholders in and around the airport, even those that are not related to the airport, like the private sector, because for instance, I, you know, I would have a meeting with a company off airport that offers perishable facilities, mm-hmm. a warehouse with just cool warehouse that offers ambient temperature temperature for pharmaceuticals and maybe even temperature as low as freezing for certain like insulin, for instance. And it's important to talk to these folks because they want to know how fast are we growing? 
how many airlines are coming and where they're coming from and what are the products they're likely to bring. Mm -hmm. And so they can also coordinate their infrastructure to meet those demands. Because overall, we all benefit from that growth. So it's important for us to talk to everyone. How do we compete? By being efficient, by you know, doing a lot of the things that we are doing now. We wish sometimes we could move faster, but it takes a while to get infrastructure up and running. Uh, we do have a bureaucracy. We are the city of Atlanta, and we have to work within that bureaucracy to make sure that we're growing and offering the right services. The thing is just to offer better services than the next airport. Recognizing, of course, that airports are connected. And once other airports are doing well, it also eventually it spills off to us as well and and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. You know, I, um, I always wonder, you know, before COVID, I would fly well to me pretty often. I mean, you know, every three to four weeks is is a good bit for me, you know, not for some people, but, you know, maybe not to you. <laughs> but but one thing I always noticed was that it, it seemed like the airport was always under construction. Every time it was always under construction. And I guess that's just going to be an ongoing thing as you continue to grow and try to compete with uh, other airports, you know, and, and make more efficiencies yeah. as it relates to that. Is that, that safe to say? Yeah, you know, there's a saying that if you if you don't see construction in an airport, that the, both the airport and the city may be dying. Hmm. Uh, it means that people are moving out. It's not growing; it's going down. Uh, okay. If you if you live in a city and you don't and you're not annoyed by the constant expansion of highways and new buildings going up and and trucks everywhere building stuff, then you're in a dying city. You're in a dying airport and what chances are people are leaving for whatever reason. So as much as we get annoyed by the construction, it's an indication of prosperity. I mean, you guys are in real estate. If you if you don't see cranes in the air, then things are bad. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think you have that saying in the industry. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I, I think you make a good point. That's uh, That's a way that we can relate to it. Right. If, if you don't see activity, then, you know, something isn't right. So that's that's a very good yeah. point. As a, as a side point, I'm, I'm going to ask you this because I watched one of your uh, your videos earlier and I used to always call the airport. No, know, I wonder which one. Am I in yeah. trouble? <laughs> <laughs> it was some some interview you were doing over in um, Amsterdam and, and I've been to Amsterdam a few times. And uh, okay. I always called okay. it Schopel or Scopel or whatever. But I, it's some I've heard in a pilot say is a skipple. Okay. Skipple. Yeah. Skipple. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So yeah, I wanted to get that right because um I'm sure I've said it wrong quite a few times, you know, and embarrassed myself. So I, I'll keep that in mind. It doesn't look like skipple, but you know, well, it's it's, a, it's Dutch. <laughs> right, right, exactly. That's the point, right? <laughs> so yeah. yeah, appreciate you bringing that out. All right. So now let's talk a little bit about the real estate side of it, because you mentioned a, a little while ago that. The airport owns land and the airport owns land and buildings that are outside of uh, the fence, if you will, which is, uh, I would assume, properties that are off-site. I wouldn't think it would be safe to assume that the majority of these properties are industrial by nature because they're somehow cargo-related. Is that the case or what What can you tell us about this uh, land and property and other things that are out there that the airport does own and control that we might even be able to participate in yeah. working with the airport at some point? Yeah. 
Most of it is zoned for industrial. There's a hotel going up just west of the airport. There's there's that. There's uh, but most of it is in fact residential. Sorry, most of it is is commercial. It's industrial. industrial. It's warehouse, and it's it's mostly light light industry. So it's not your heavy manufacturing. Mm-hmm. The challenge is that the airport is in the middle of several communities. I mean, we're in Clayton County, College Park, Atlanta. One more that I'm forgetting. I think we're in five different... Um, Riverdale, maybe. Riverdale. Riverdale, yeah. And and because of that, we have to answer to a lot of these different local governments. One of the challenges, I was in a, a meeting last week, and people always, I always say that residential people hate trucks. Mm-hmm. They don't like trucks on the highways. They don't like trucks in their neighborhoods. Because trucks are big and they're loud and they, you know, they look dangerous and often they are. Yeah, and they tear up the but streets. But these sometimes. trucks are moving. Yeah. They tear up the streets. Yeah. But the trucks, the trucks are moving goods. You know, you expect same day delivery delivered by these same trucks. Mm-hmm. So that's that's always a challenge finding the right balance and trying to educate folks in the community, including our, our local politicians, about the value of cargo, but also understanding that, you know, we don't want the whole area to turn into industrial uh, because at the same time we have, we're, we're the busiest airport, we have passengers coming in and we don't want them to be hindered by lines of trucks either. We, we need passengers to get to the airport right. efficiently and get in so that we can keep being efficient on the passenger side. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a pretty good natural zone around the airport where the the south, the southeast is very much a lot of warehouses, and the, the southwest is kind of a mix of um, warehouses and 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 light industrial. And you know we want to keep it a north of the airport. Hapeville is very much kind of a artsy live work play restaurant kind of environment, and that's that's good for because we also have. Delta headquarters and a lot of people that work in that area and a, and a good residential area there as well. You know, I was surprised when I when I first came to Atlanta and I'd been to many other airports and looked at the infrastructure around the airports. And, you know, around your typical airport internationally, whether it's Shanghai or in Seoul or uh, Geneva, where I lived in Geneva, you have facilities like you have... Um, grocery stores, you have the pharmaceutical, you have shopping, you have uh, connections to all modes of public transportation, <laughs> you have other industries, and also you have residential. Mm-hmm. You have folks who live close to the airport, and, and the airport owns all of this property and makes revenue from a wide cross-section of real estate around the airport. And where they where they don't own it, they either try to buy it late, you know, from the, the, the people who own it, or they, they, you know, because airports always growing. So they always need land around the airport to continue to grow uninhibited. Mm-hmm. And also you don't want too many people who are not associated with the aviation industry living around the airport because, you know, planes are noisy, although they're getting much better these days. Planes mm-hmm. are a lot quieter than they were in, in the past. And Pollution is also on the, on going down because you know the engines are getting a lot more efficient and 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 less noisy over time. So I was surprised that there weren't more residential around Atlanta Airport, 
and there weren't more industries related to the airport. For instance, we need we need mechanics on the airport, mm-hmm. mechanics that can fix tugs and forklifts and 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 trucks. We call them ULDs. Uh, it, the, the equipment we use to pull all the cargo and and luggage and so forth. Those things break down, and airlines have facilities to fix them on airport. But many of our ground handlers, the big ground handlers that handle what they call the all freighters, the the aircrafts that only carry freight, we don't have enough space on airport for those to to take for them to take care of those things. Mm-hmm. And you go to airport like Frankfurt and off airport, they have a mechanic facility, so everyone can take their their stuff there, get them fixed, and then get them back on the airport functioning. Okay. So we have a ways to go in terms of getting things the way it, it it could be like some international airports, but we, we are headed in that direction. Okay. That's interesting. So that kind of gives us yeah. an idea of, um, of what could be in the kitty as something to look at. You know, you, you just described workforce, workforce housing for the most part. You also described uh, other yeah. facilities, yeah. retail facilities, you know, such as shopping for supermarkets and uh, pharmacies and things like that, uh, which you're right. There's not a lot of that around the airport for the most part. So, yeah. Take, take restaurants. We, in the southern part of the airport, we have maybe 12, I would say maybe close to 25, 2,500 people working in the southern part of the airport. Mm-hmm. Just that read that sector alone. We don't really have any restaurants down there. Mm. You know, we don't, you know, everyone, I'd have to bring their own lunch. There are a couple of food trucks that come in, but we don't have any restaurants in the region and not not a lot of restaurant options. There might be a, Mac, a McDonald's, I think, on, on Riverdale Road. And there are a couple of things, but not a lot. And, you know, and it, it's hard for the staff. We don't have public transportation down there. And that's something that I've been lobbying for a couple of years for mm-hmm. us to get MATA to connect there because that would open the market to a lot more, a, lot, a different type of uh, labor supply. Because labor, the supply of labor for us is is a big challenge. We don't keep it, people working in the industry. There's a fast turnover, especially in the ground handlers on the southern part. So that's a, that's a challenge. Um, there, there, are, there are opportunities for a variety of different industrial development in the south, especially. Okay. All right. That's, that's very good to know. So anyone listening today, keep that in mind. You know, there's a lot of opportunities there. And if um, if we didn't find land that was available through private inv- or operators and owners, how do we work with the airport in order to perhaps uh, lease some of the land and, and build on it? Maybe if we wanted to build an industrial facility on land the airport owns, how do we go about doing that? Since we're part of the city of Atlanta, we put out RFPs. Okay. Sometimes RFPs are focused. Sometimes they're a little bit more open. If you pay attention to the RFPs that are on the website for the city of Atlanta, mm-hmm. their solicitation website, and you will see, I mean, they have a variety of RFPs, but they also have ours from the Department of Aviation. And, you know, you look at those and see what's what's worth participating in. Some of them on airport, some are off airport. It's just important to just pay attention to that and see where, where there can be some partnerships. Sometimes it might be, not just one company, might be several companies. And if you come to the airport with a good idea, a really good proposal, you know, it, it can be can be profitable for both sides. Okay. All right. So you could also bring proposals to the airport. 
Um, well, not unsolicited, not unsolicited. Okay. They they have to be solicited. So it has to be based on a solicitation. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks for clarifying that. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you, you could own a piece of land and say, Hey, this, this would be great for the city to do X, Y, Z, but there is a process, which is one reason why I brought it up. I know you can't just, yeah. you know, like a, like a old, uh, a demo tape you can't just take it and drop it off and say hey check out my stuff right (laughs) it doesn't work that way so i know what you're referring to so i wanted to go ahead and and open this up to uh some of our audience here and and again one reason why we're having this discussion today is because uh, industrial is one of the areas of commercial real estate that's often overlooked Uh, it could be very profitable and not a lot of expense elliot and i was talking about uh off camera before we started the recording and we could talk about it a little bit more elliot about the idea of having these industrial sites where they're triple net leased and it's really just a metal metal frame structure so you have the land you put this metal structure up and you triple net lease it out and for those of you who may not know what that is it's just simply the taxes the insurance and the maintenance of the building could all be covered by the tenant. So all you're doing is basically for providing a facility and benefiting from it. And uh, what's interesting, which a lot of people don't know, is in the pharmaceutical industry, where you see a lot of uh, Walgreens and places like that, you can even participate in the rent growth uh, if the particular business is receiving greater profitability because of being on your site. You know, and you could have situations like that as well. So it could be very, very lucrative without a whole lot of aggravation, certainly not the aggravation you would have in trying to manage a whole bunch of rental single family homes. So you might want to give this some attention and and consider it from that standpoint. So what I want to do is uh, open up the line to our questions. If you have any questions, you could either raise your virtual hand or you can uh, put those in the chat and we'll be more than happy to uh, receive your, your question and ask Elliot you know, what his thoughts are on your particular question. So we want to go ahead and open that up at this time. So what what kind of demand, while we're waiting for those those questions to come in, what type of demand do you feel there is right now uh, as regards, um, you know, in industrial? Uh, you mentioned about the growth that we're trying to achieve in these different markets. Um, and I know you said the demand is high, but is there any amount of square footage or anything else, some type of metric you can put around what the demand is? Yeah. So for example, we have four buildings on airport, on on the Southern part of the airport, each about a hundred thousand square feet. Okay. They're full. I mean, they're full to overflowing. The most recent one we opened was in May of this year. We, We completed it, we built it. It's basically a shell. DHL was growing so much. And I'll talk a little bit about why DHL is growing. DHL is growing so much, they negotiated with the, the tenant and got got an opportunity to split the building into 50,000 square feet each. And both of them are in each, you know, each half of the building. They're already full. They're already full to overflowing because there's so much growth in Atlanta. We're doing about the highest we did, what was just was um, 2019, the year before COVID was around 700,000 metric tons of cargo. This year, we're seeing growth higher than that. So we expect maybe close to 800,000 metric tons by the end of this year. This is despite COVID. Now, coming back to DHL, one of the growth factors that we're seeing is, is in e-commerce. Amazon started with four, four flight, one flight per day in September 2019. Now they have four. 
and they keep bugging us for more space. And it's it's hard because we don't have more space. And that's because, you know, because of COVID, people have been home ordering stuff online. We've seen a 10-year jump in growth of what we originally expected in e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Everyone's ordering stuff online, everything from pillows to toilet paper to books to, you know, just name it, you name it. Right. And because of that, we at the airports have to be more efficient because more goods are passing through uh, on the e-commerce. So DHL, um, Walmart, uh, Amazon, all of these online platforms are growing tremendously. And they're looking at, in major cities like Atlanta, they're looking at where can they expand with this to having distribution centers. So if you have a plot of land that's not necessarily close to the airport, it can be 10, even 20 miles away from the airport. And that land, say you can you can put easily on that land at least 100,000 square feet mm-hmm. of, of space, of warehouse space, warehouse floor. But then you also need space for truck turning areas and for truck parking, for employee parking and for you know repairs of equipment and so forth. If you if you have that kind of acreage, that's a gold mine right now. If you are the one constructing the warehouse and you you're constructing something that has you know little or no columns in the warehouse cuz everyone in the industry whether it's the movie industry, cargo, logistics whatever, we all hate columns. Because uh, in the movie industry when you're building a set you have to then build around the column. And imagine if you're watching Dynasty and you have a living room that they built for in a studio for this, and then you have to find a way to get rid of that column in the middle of the warehouse. Same thing for cargo. Forklifts hit columns. They get in the way of, of shelves. Uh, we don't like columns. So those warehouses that have columns, you know, they're not the best warehouses. So if you're investing in a warehouse or you're build, you're buying one or building, you know, you look for stuff like that, stuff that's also well insulated. It's I'll I'll give you an, a little bit of an anecdote. One of my ground handlers was saying that in the winter and spring, he hires double the amount of staff he needs because in the summer it gets to it could get to about 120 degrees on the ramp and in the warehouse. Mm. And that, that kind of temperature, when a new staff walks in and he feels that heat, within 30 minutes, they quit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh. so you, you, so if you have a warehouse and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm listening to him and I'm like, I never thought of that. That makes so much sense. If you have a warehouse, you make sure that the roof is insulated. You make sure that your walls are insulated. You make sure that you can offer they have these things, these fans, they call them big ass fans. Mm-hmm. You know, there's huge uh, industrial fans in warehouses. You make sure you have good ventilation to keep your staff, you make sure that the facility can keep the staff comfortable. And, and that in itself, you can market that in itself because in Atlanta it gets pretty hot. So when you're looking to invest, you know, you need to think about what is the end market? What is, what is it, what is it going to be like to work in the warehouse? What is it going to be like to operate the business in there? Um, suppose they need to retrofit some of it to handle pharmaceuticals. To handle pharmaceuticals, you need a very clean building and also food, uh, perishables. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about keeping it cool, but it's also about keeping it clean and, and sterile. 
So you, you, your facility has to be airtight, clean. You can't allow dust to get in. At the same time, it has to be energy efficient. So skylights are useful because, you know, skylights offer natural light. LED lights that are motion detection uh, are pretty useful because they go off when no one's around moving in the warehouse and they turn on when, when they do, when there's business operating. And, and what, what is the end market going to look like? So making sure that it's clean, making sure that it's sterile, or it has the potential to, to get that way without too much cost. You know, I've looked at some warehouses and, you know, they're big, they're, they're great, great, yeah, great turnaround, but they're dusty. And the way the doors are, are fitted, they, they allow a lot of dust to get in. Those are not good for pharmaceuticals. Since you're in the real estate industry, you're not likely to get involved in the nitty gritty of the operations. But, you know, when you have a company that you rent a space to, and if that company becomes certified under good distribution practices, which is a documentation system for monitoring everything that happens to cargo, say, say pharmaceuticals, medication, medication, you need perfect track and trace of everything that's happening to it. What's the temperature? What, what's the dust level, the humidity? Making sure there are no insects and, and that sort of thing in the warehouse facility. Making sure there's no theft of a very expensive pharmaceuticals. So it is a good security system. And, you know, um, uh, Joel talked about the, was it net triple lease? Yeah, triple net lease. Yeah, net, yeah. triple net lease. Mm-hmm. And those, those are great opportunities where you have the land, you have even a shell, and it's a decent shell. It doesn't need a lot of work. And then you can get a provider, someone who needs it to invest in it to put all the facilities that they need in it. This happens in the film industry. And I happen to know about the film industry because my, my partner works in the film industry and in the, the film industry. So that happens there, that happens in, um, in with pharmaceuticals and with e-commerce and so forth. You need space that they can invest in. Mm-hmm. They can put what they need. And eventually when they leave, you have a facility and they've paid all the taxes, the rent, the insurance, they paid everything. Mm-hmm. But when they leave, you now have a facility that has a greater value. And then you can target it to those industries. Yeah. I think we have a question well, from Jessica. I, I was actually going to get a, a few. Well, and Jerry had her hand up first. Let me just see if we could grab her. And Jerry, you still had um, a question or was it answered? Hi, Joel and Elliot. Good morning. Uh, no, uh, Elliot answered my question right in the middle of what he was talking about as far okay. as the, uh, the distance, like how many miles from the airport. You said like 20, 30 miles and 100, and, uh, you know, 100 plus thousand square feet and of insulated. Those are the details that I was trying to get, you know, as an investor, you know, what types of things would I, could I be looking for? And then you went on to talk about, you know, getting investors to actually upgrade those spaces. So that was, that was really great. I think the only other thing that I would be looking to uh, ask was about these facilities. Like, so you said, look for RFPs from the city. How else could we, if we have these facilities, how else could we go about making them available for the airport? So it's, it, you're not making them available to the airport per se. I'm sorry, that I, I didn't word that kind of correctly. I, I, uh, as far as doing business with some of the vendors who would work with the airport. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, really, it's really getting to know the industry, getting to know uh, who are the folks 
who are shipping goods. So for instance, get, getting to know some of the freight forwarders. Freight forwarders are the ones shipping goods in and out, and sometimes they need extra extra space. Also getting to know the ground handlers. Um, I'll, I'll tell you right now, the ground handlers in our airport, they all stretch for space. So they're all looking for partners off airport, not too far from the airport, who can work with them on bonded warehousing. It's it's challenging because customs right now, they're, they're stretched with staff and they're not too keen on doing bond, a, a lot more bonded warehousing, but I think they won't have a choice eventually. And as as we grow and as we try to get out of COVID and economy, it, you know, the industry starts really growing again um, and people start getting out and consuming, there's going to be a demand for more off-airport uh, facilities to help the ground handlers and, and they, they need... So let me explain a little bit what the bond, bonding means. Once the good comes off the airport, goods on airport are considered bonded, meaning that they, they're part of a, a secure system. And in order for it to get into, especially international in particular international goods, for it to get into the country that is outside of the airport's secure fence to the public, it needs to be checked by customs. It needs to be approved by customs and, and border protection um, to make sure there's no contraband and it's 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 not anything illegal, there's no drugs involved, or it's not something that, that requires to pay duty and taxes on. Once it goes, so it's possible for it to go off the off a plane through our warehouse onto a truck that has a seal on it that says that it's bonded and customs and then that that truck goes to another warehouse off airport that's also considered like an island of the airport it's it's also bonded it's sealed and customs can then check it in that warehouse those facilities are tremendously valuable because it means you can do a lot of you can do airport work off airport Personally, we don't like it because it, it means we, if we have the facilities, we're losing revenue. But the challenge is right now, we just don't have enough facilities. So we're not fighting against it too much. I don't know if I answered your question. Yes, you did. Thank okay. you. Okay. Okay. Hey, Joel, th- this is Deneen. Yeah. In relationship to that question, in regards to the bonded warehouses, what is the pro- what is, what is the appropriate proximity from the airport in that regard? Is it a difference with those because of the fact that you're transporting bonded. cargo, bonded yeah. cargo? Yeah. Yeah. Typically, customs don't like it too far from the airport, so it's it's not going to be like another town. Is going to be close to the airport within, you know, 10, 15 mile drive, a 15 minute drive. It's going to be close, close enough to the airport for a bonded warehouse. Uh, it, it should not be too far because the, the further it is, the, the higher the risk of that bond, that truck being contaminated. I mean, somebody, the truck stopping somewhere, someone breaking the seal. And once the seal is broken, the truck is compromised. And it's it's it, customs just don't won't allow allow that. So it has to be fairly close to the airport. Got you. Thank All right. You. Let's take. Thank you, uh, Deneen. Appreciate that. Let's get a um, couple of other questions here. I think this chat came in next from Ken Hardy. Ken, you could ask your question, or we could just read it here. Um, it asks: Are there any partnership opportunities for brokering development services, i.e., ICE or janitorial at the New Orleans? airport, the new New Orleans airport. So I know you're here in Atlanta, but you're in the industry. So maybe you do know any, any thoughts on that? 
I don't know specifically about New Orleans Airport. I, I know that, I mean, in the airport, we have ABM as our janitorial service provider on this airport. ICE companies, I don't know. I mean, that, that might be one of our concessions. So the airport also has uh, concessionaires and concessions. And again, they put out RFPs, they bid for, you have primes, and these primes will have various smaller companies under them. And they will bid for a space. Usually this is on the passenger side to operate, whether it's a restaurant, retail, food and beverage, and so forth. And then you can, you know, there maybe is an ice company that they would partner with or janitorial service that they will partner with. So the opportunities are usually within an RFP where that's concerned. And I suspect it's the same for New Orleans. So again, I would I would advise just look on, if you're in New Orleans and you're interested in investing there, look on their website, look at their solicitation website and see where there are opportunities for you. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Ken. We appreciate you participating in uh, today's podcast. Uh, Jessica, you've had your hand up for a minute. Uh, what's on your mind? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for doing this talk. I've, I'm really interested in what you have going on. Um, my first question is about infrastructure overall. You mentioned something about metrics earlier. I'm wondering if or what what is the relationship between the airport and the Port of Savannah? Are there any thing, any leading or lagging indicators that you watch for that have to do with the Port of Savannah? Like, can you talk about what relationship, if any, the airport has with the port on like a infrastructure level? We don't do a lot of, with the airport, with, with the Port of Savannah in terms of infrastructural development. We have done some trade promotion together. So we have been to like different cities in China and Japan to promote both the port and the airport as these two big infrastructure that we have to promote trade and encourage investment and trade from, from, from Asia in general. But in terms of the infrastructure is, is pretty different. We don't have big multimodal connectivity with the airport. So they're not, they're not goods moving on sea and then transferring to the air via um, Atlanta airport. And that's because, you know, because of the continental US, most goods move to their final market by trucks, by road. And that's why we say sometimes we actually compete with road because I'll give you an example, Chicago airport. Chicago airport is closer to Asia than Atlanta airport is. So it's cheaper for a plane to fly to Chicago than it is to fly to Atlanta. The, so what happens, the sort of freight costs to Chicago is lower. And, you know, you pay a pilot and you pay an aircraft more than you pay a trucker, a trucking company. So it's, it's in many instances, it's cheaper. And that's why Chicago has a lot more Asian flights than we do. It's cheaper to take the goods to Chicago and then fly them and then truck them from Chicago to the south, including to Atlanta. The, what we take advantage of is that Chicago is congested and sometimes airlines don't want to deal with the congestion and they prefer to, to pay the extra costs and go directly to market, such as coming to Atlanta. So we do get quite a few Asian Asian uh, airlines as a result. But, but to answer your question, no, on the infrastructure level, there's not that connectivity uh, between us and Savannah. Okay, thank you. And the, my second question has to do with your specific department. 
Can you talk a little bit about how your department in the airport is structured? And I'm also curious to know more about the budget of your department and like how you guys spend your money. And also if there, if you've been looking at this infrastructure bill that's, you know, going, working his way through Congress, if there's anything, if you guys are looking to get part of that money or if it's already earmarked for you, um, how you are planning on spending that. Yeah. I can't say much about the infrastructure bill in terms of what, what we'll do with it. The idea is for us to be a lot more internationally competitive is what we've been working towards. And, and we suspect that's what the main objective of the international of the infrastructure bill is about. So I can't speak to that. I would let, you know, somebody higher up the chain than me talk to that. What, what we do with our budget or how we spend our budget. Well, mm-hmm. so the, the, the airport, we have to spend on operations, um, maintaining all the runways, the taxiways, the facility for safety um, mechanisms, um, making sure that there's parking and security available. Um, you know, it's 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 a lot to handle sometimes through 300,000 people passing through an airport. It's like running a miniature city, basically. So and there's this fire to maintain there's um there's a variety of security and police it's a, a huge effort I, I don't know if it'll take us another podcast to maybe answer some of those questions but unless you're, you're a bit more precise on what what you're what you're looking for so is that okay for now jessica and maybe um you can email those questions i can send them to uh, elliot by email maybe later on Sure, sounds good. Thank you so much. Okay, all right, fantastic. Deneen had one other question about uh, the RFP information. I I think that would be on the uh, on the website where you're you're putting those out, right? The City of Atlanta website related to aviation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, on the City of the Department of Aviation, City of Atlanta. Okay, all right, gotcha. And uh, George Render had a question: Um, Who are the vendors that are looking? Who are that are looking or in need of warehouse space? So who are those vendors? Um, I know you mentioned DHL. Were there others that you can think of off the top of your head? Oh, Amazon's always looking for space. DHL's always looking for more space. I mean, and just and just about anyone who's operating on the airport's always looking for space. So, you know, talk to the ground handlers, talk to the operators, whether it's UPS, FedEx, DHL. All right. Well, we appreciate that, Elliot. We're we're down to six minutes. Um, we don't have any other questions. What, what do you want to want to talk about or cover as we kind of close out for today? What's on your mind? What's your objectives and how can we help you other than uh, just booking more flights? <laughs> <laughs> booking more flights helps. Um, ordering, ordering more stuff online helps. But also, you know, it, what, what's interesting is that technology is adding a lot of value to cargo. Uh, that's one of my big campaigns. I'm always trying to connect people in my industry with the fact that to help them understand how consumers think. Consumers want instant gratification using technology. We all have these little computers in our pockets now that we we click on, they're connected to our banks, uh, and they know exactly what we want, when we want it, our favorite color, and who we like the most, and all of that. We use these things to consume goods and services now. And it's important for us in the industry who are the conduit providing these goods and services 
to also use the technology so that we can be more efficient in, in offering the goods and services as consumers expected. So in Atlanta's case, we, implement some, we implemented something in 2019 called the Cargo Community System, which allowed us to allow the ground handlers, the airlines, uh, different stakeholders to log into a platform and essentially to talk to each other about the same uh, the same piece of cargo or the same shipment of cargo. Just as how you can go on your Amazon app and you can track and trace wherever your goods are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want everyone in the in the in the sector in the supply chain to be able to do that as well. So we we developed that and now we're kind of promoting it to get more people to sign up to it. You know, we have a truck rest area for for trucks, but the aim is to use the technology that's that's there already and that Amazon is using, that Walmart is using, that Google is using, use that same technology to make us more efficient. And uh, and that's we can serve people better and become a, a you know a better airport overall. That's one of my passions, using technology to really promote efficiency. Okay. No, that's fantastic. A lot of a lot of good information there, and um, how this all comes together. We had a a, a final question that came in from uh, Myra. Uh, she was saying that Atlanta was the uh, busiest and most efficient airport in the world. What do you believe sets it apart in comparison to other airports? What would you say to that, Elliot? What what sets it apart from from other airports, which has made it so great? I think it's it's the vision that that uh, the, the past developers had, the past mayors of Atlanta. You know, the Atlanta airport was a racetrack. Historically, we were a, a train connection. And, and, and if any of you remember your history and you remember uh, the Civil War, that the, the train tracks were bummed to kind of help to win the war. So, so now we replace, you know, train connectivity with now air connectivity. And I think the, the past leaders recognize that if you... Hartsfield and, and and also Jackson, Maynard Jackson, recognized that if you can build, and luckily we don't have a lot of hills, so you could build parallel runways, so you could have several landings at the same time and take off, takes off, take you know, take off at the same time. But you could also build terminals that are adjacent to each other, running running east basically. And then you build all the facilities around it. You create this kind of very efficient ecosystem. And, and doing that has made us super efficient. And many airports globally um, have started to follow this design, the layout, the model that we have, because it's, it, it makes sense. It's easy, it's expandable, and, and it's, it's what's helped us grow. When, when Atlanta Airport started, we were just moving mail and that's, that's the other thing we te- we keep forgetting cargo is always the the focal point that starts trade trade is always the focal point that starts a passenger service we always get a cargo flight first and then later on we get a passenger flight to that same connection atlanta airport started off as a mail airport moving mail and then we expanded to become the world's busiest airport so i think you know the fact of the location where we are the, the former vision that that people had and the continued vision of expanding. The, the city itself is a great attractant because while we help the city grow, the city helps us to grow. Mm-hmm. So people like you who are investing in, in this vision and, and in this growth and see 
you becoming part of this growth also contributing to our 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 success so um it's not just us it's it's the entire city it's all our partners together yeah well i thank you for for bringing that out and um you know i i must say it's uh it's quite interesting i remember reading a statistic that atlanta was what was it i think it was less than 3 hours from 70% of the of the country or something like that yeah and less, less than two hours, less than two hours from eighty percent of the U.S. population. Okay. And and two days by truck uh, from to eighty percent of the U.S. population. Yeah, that's pretty impressive when you think about it. And in a lot of ways, I didn't necessarily believe it to be true. But I'll be honest with you, I've taken day trips to Miami, to uh, New York, to D.C., to Boston, even as far as L.A., Seattle. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, and and. You know, granted, even San Francisco for that matter, but granted, you you catching the red eye coming back, yeah. but you are able to go out there in the morning, conduct business all day, and then come back to Atlanta, yeah. even as far as Los Angeles yeah. and, and Seattle. So it's pretty impressive. It's it's quite a city and a quite quite a location where we're where we're at here. And um, Elliot, you know, uh, we were all disappointed last week. We had a ton of people here waiting to hear from you, and uh, obviously we had a little bit of, of mix up there, but you know, it's all good, and I'm. I'm so very happy. I'm so sorry. I'm so no, sorry about that. You know that. what? You, you adjusted your schedule even today. I know you had other meetings and you adjusted right. it to uh, to be with us. I know you're super busy and I'm super, super grateful that you took time to be with us today. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll love to have you back at any point in time in the future when you want to get back together with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I, I see a couple of names that I recognize and Brandon and, and Deneen. Good, it's good to see you guys again. <laughs> All right, fantastic. So everyone, this is the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We're so happy to have you with us today. Please tune in next week for another exciting podcast. And Elliot, thank you again so much for being with us. It was a great podcast and we're so very happy to have you here today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.